Amen. Thank you, Brother Brian. You may be seated. If you're glad to be with the body of Christ on Wednesday night, say, I am. Amen. I'm glad to be back with my local church family. And uh, Kim and I had a wonderful time uh, ministering. I don't mind doing that every once in a while. Uh, but I, as I told the pastor there while we were there, I love it. But if I only ever got to preach at the Faith Baptist Tabernacle in Jamestown, Tennessee, I would be completely content to just do that. And uh, we were just about 30 miles south of Washington, D.C., um, in Fredericksburg, Virginia. And there uh, at a marriage, spoke at a marriage thing there on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And then um, there, there at their church on Sunday. Very unusual that at the marriage retreat, after the Thursday night session, speaking from Ephesians 5 on Jesus' love for the church and his uh, illustration of uh, his love for the church and, and the husband and wife relationship and, and talking about how extravagant his love was for us, uh, a, a couple that they had been witnessing to and praying for for many weeks and invited to come to the marriage retreat, uh, knowing that they, as far as they knew, they weren't saved. And the pastor there at the end of the session just felt led to uh, say, hey, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, your marriage is always going to be less than what you want it to be and God wants it to be. And if, you, uh, if God's been drawing you, then, then feel free to stay afterwards. And uh, about two hours later, that couple prayed there in the room and trusted Christ as their Savior, put their faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. So there was a couple saved at the marriage retreat. That was unusual. And then Sunday morning, the lady who her and her husband got saved at the marriage retreat, her sister was in the service Sunday morning, and uh, I preached, and again, the pastor, they've been planting seeds and watering, and uh, I could tell you a long background story, but God's just been bringing people there uh, through a circumstance, and this was one of those couples, and... um, I'd never seen it on this fashion, but he gave the gospel and the invite. Well, he, he kind of recapped the gospel and the invitation, said, you know, if, if you want to make a decision today to trust Christ, um, stand right where you are. Boy, that couple stood right up. No one was looking. Uh, he just basically talked to them one-on-one um, and right there publicly in front of everybody, um, they called out to the Lord for salvation and put their faith in Christ. And again, God had just been drawing them. And it was just wonderful to see, wonderful to see. Isn't it awesome to be a part of God saving people and seeing that and witnessing? And I hope we never get tired of that. Brother Noel came back from the hospital uh, yesterday, I believe it was. And he was just sharing with me one of his neighbors that he's been praying for uh, and witnessing to went off to Michigan and got saved while he was in Michigan. And so uh, Brother Noel was so excited about that. But we're glad to be here. And uh, that last song reminded me this coming Sunday night, I hope you'll plan to be here for our Lord's Supper time, a special time around the Lord's table, remembering his death. Of course, um, the Passion, Passion Week and Good Friday and, and Resurrection Sunday just upon us here in the next few weeks. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, this evening, 
Good to see a, a good crowd here on Wednesday night during the middle of spring break. I'll be honest, I was wondering if it might just be me and Brother Jim and Miss Michelle tonight, but now we have more than three of us. It's good. Let me just review for a moment. Uh, we are going through this uh, epistle, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, and we have made it to chapter 13. Remember that Paul, again, he has been addressing the church at Corinth for the pride, for the selfishness, for the sinfulness that had crept into their church, bringing about a great divide, bringing about a loss of focus within the church, bringing about a competitive spirit. But it wasn't just for the church at Corinth because the Holy Spirit inspired this to be written for all churches down through the ages because it was something that he knew would be needed, not just in the church at Corinth, but in in all of our churches. And, And Paul is most recently in chapter 12, he has been addressing the abuse and the misuse of spiritual gifts. And of course, at the, the heart of that was jealousy. And so as we come now to chapter 13, which Brother Chris, who also is home and doing well, recovering some, from surgery, and good to have his mom and Tom uh, with us tonight as well. But Brother Chris led us into chapter 13 the last time, in the first three verses especially, And as we review this, I want you to remember that the context of this, and a lot of times this is one of those chapters because it's called the love chapter, it's often kind of taken out on its own and and used a lot of times. So whenever that happens, it's important for us to bring it back into its original context, right? And so, yes, we can use 1 Corinthians 13 for marriage and for family life because God has called us to that type of love agape love, but specifically the context is not written to families, it is written to the church. It is written to the the, the church at large, um, describing this selfless, sacrificial, spirit-producing love that is exemplified in Jesus's love for us. But you remember in verses 1 through 3, Chris went through these radical statements about a Christian's life within the church um, that, that he gives here in the very beginning. And he says, really, that if you have all of these things, but you do them without love, or love is absent, then they're nothing, right? He says, it doesn't matter how well you can speak. If you don't have love, you're nothing. It doesn't matter how smart you are or how well you can argue your beliefs about something. If you don't have love, you're nothing. It doesn't matter how incredible your faith is to step out and do things that are beyond human comprehension. If you have great faith, but you don't have love, then you are nothing. It doesn't matter if you are the most generous person in the county, in the entire world, and you solve world hunger. If that's something that you do, but you do it for the wrong reason, you do not have love, he says you are not nothing. In fact, he goes to the extreme measure to say if you give your body as a martyr to be burned and you don't have love, you are nothing. And Brother Chris gave us that great, uh, that great statement that everything minus love is nothing. That's what Paul's saying. Everything without love 
is nothing. And now Paul is going to show us what this love, especially this love within the context of the church, what it should look like in our lives with our love one for another. Again, it's fine to bring this within the family life as well. It certainly applies. But the context in which it was written is to us in the church. And, and so it's, it's not many times this is used more. And the reason I'm emphasizing that it's, it's used more in the context of the family than it is in the church. And the context in which it was written was to the church. So let's read down through verse seven together. And then we're going to come back and park in verse number four tonight. All right. Verse number one says this, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffers long, it is kind, charity envies not, charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly, it seeks not her own, it is not easily provoked, it thinks no evil, it rejoices not in iniquity, but it rejoices in the truth, it bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. Let me just give you some reminders about this agape love that we know from other places in the scripture First of all, uh, John reminds us in his little epistle that God is love, right? He doesn't just show love. He doesn't just demonstrate love like you and I might do. He is love. And we have only been given the capacity to love him because he first loved us. John says we love him because he first loved us. We also know that the Apostle Paul reminds us that we have this capacity to love granted to us through the Holy Spirit. Romans says this, the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Spirit of God. Uh, We should be best known, the Bible says, by our love. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if you have what? Love one for another. We should be most known for our love. Love should be the thing that marks us. Luke 10, 27. Thou shalt love the Lord. Remember, he reduces these commandments and he reduces them to something about love. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind and thy neighbor as thyself. But the truth is that we have all seen maybe even been a part of churches where love was absent. Where when you came in, there, there wasn't love. In fact, in many cases, there, there is the opposite of that. There is competition, there is hatred, there is strife. And that was certainly the case at the church at Corinth, as we have seen. Instead of being a church known for love, they were a church that was known for conflict. They were a church that was known for carnality, for sexual immorality, for lawsuits, for pride, and for the abuse and misuse of liberties and the abuse and the misuse of gifts. And so in our section tonight, Paul reminds them not only are they nothing 
without love, but also that this love is not as much of a feeling that we feel. Love is an emotion. We, we do feel love for someone, but he shows us it's more than just an emotion. It is an action. It, it is something that doesn't just feel, it acts. And he begins to discuss the actions of love. I've entitled this section tonight and probably next Wednesday night as well, The Actions of Love. The things that Paul is about to say in his description of love, they're in great contrast to the way that the Corinthians are treating one another. And this section is extremely practical. It's extremely helpful. It's helpful for all of our relationships, um, our church, our home, all of it, where God has commanded us to love as Christ loved the church. First of all, I want you to see tonight, we'll just walk through these four things in verse number four. Love is patient. He said, charity suffers long. That, that word macrothumia is the Greek word, and it comes to mean extreme patience, long-suffering. And it actually was described to, to be used not with patience with things or patience with circumstances, but patience with people. How many of you know that sometimes it's easier to be patient with circumstances than it is to be patient with people? So it's used here talking about our patience with people. It reminds me of the story of the, the preschool teacher, and we have some that are usually in here on, on Wednesday nights that probably can identify with this, this story. But the little boy the end of the day he was trying to put on his boots and his teacher was down there helping him put them put them on and he wasn't helping very much so she was doing a lot of the pulling and the pushing of his foot down in there and she finally gets them on and after she gets them on he looks down and he says they're on the wrong foot Sure enough, the teacher looks and they're on the wrong foot. So she takes them back off and she puts them back on again on the right foot and takes her just a few minutes to finally do it. He's playing with other things. And so he, uh, she gets done putting them on and, and he says, these aren't my boots. <laughs> so the teacher, again, takes the boots off, pulling them off and, and then, um, and then when she gets them off, he says, well, they're not my boots, but they're my brother's boots. But my mom said that I could wear them today. <laughs> so now for the third time, she crams his foot back into the, the little boots and finally gets them settled and puts on his coat and says, now, where are your gloves? And he said, well, I stuck them in the bottom of my boots so that <laughs> my boots would fit. So this, this teacher, in a, in a few years, she'll be up for parole in just a few years. But, but it takes patience to deal with people, doesn't it? We know this with, with all of our relationships. We know this in marriage. We know this with our children. We know it certainly within the context of, of church. But it's interesting, isn't it, that the, the first evidence of true love is patience. Patience with people. This is one of the reasons that the Pharisees had such a hard time with Jesus. Because he was so patient, wasn't he? It, it was no longer an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It was long-suffering. This, this word is, is, 
is described to uh, show a person who is very slow to anger, who doesn't retaliate, who doesn't seek vengeance, who doesn't become hostile. Romans chapter 12 and verse 17, Paul says, recompense or give to no man evil for evil. This takes patience. And by the way, this would have been a a distinct virtue of Christianity in this day because it was not a virtue in the Greek world. In fact, Aristotle defined the great Greek virtue as this, refusal to tolerate any insult any injury, any readiness, and a readiness to strike back at any hurt. That was a virtue according to Aristotle. So Paul writes that the Christians, marked by love, that they, they love in return when they are hurt. They love when they are insulted. They love when they are injured. When others believe that he or she has a right To revenge, this person doesn't take that opportunity. And of course, as we study the world and we study the Bible, we know this, don't we? That our God, who is our example, that our God, who is love, that he is marked by his patience, isn't he? He's marked by his grace. The story of Israel, you know what it is? It is the record of God's patience with a nation who, who ignored him, a, a, a nation who was disloyal to him, who was rebellious to him, who was disobedient. And if God were at all impatient, Israel would have been destroyed and all of the, the promises canceled years ago, but they're not. You know why? Because God is patient. He's patient with you and I. Isn't he so patient with the church? Boy, we've messed up a lot. We've made a lot of mistakes. And yet he still loves us unconditionally. And he still forgives us. And he still uses us. And Romans 2 and verse 4 reminds us that the purpose of his patience is that it might lead us to repentance. That is the purpose of it. That's his desire in it. Romans 2, 4. Despisest thou the riches of his goodness? And forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing, notice, that the goodness, the, the patience and kindness of God leads thee to repentance. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 14. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, and this is to the church. Be patient toward all men. Demonstrate your love by your patience. We can find out what kind of love do we have. You, there's, there's types of human love, phileo love, brotherly love, where we care about people, family love. There, there is eros, that erotic love, that romantic love, human love. But what about this supernatural love that is only able to come through us, through the Spirit of God. You say, I wonder what kind of love I have. Well, you have to take this test because these are the attributes. These are the actions of real love is that if you are patient with people, anybody can retaliate. Anybody can desire vengeance. 
But spirit-producing love, remember, forgives 70 times 7. Over and over. Within the church, love is patient with people. Within the home, love is patient with people. Patience with those that are weak in their faith. Patience with those that are constantly complaining and resist change. Patient with those who forget their responsibility or are emotionally unstable. Patience with those that are wayward and they know what to do and yet they do the complete opposite. He calls us to be a people who are patient, who restore. Secondly, he says, not only is love patient, but love is kind. Charity suffereth long and is kind. And kindness flows from patience. Patience waits and cares for people, but kindness takes it a step further. It doesn't just put up with them, but it benefits them. It gives to them. Kindness means that you're giving that which is useful in return for ill-intended actions. Kindness is its more than just a smile and a handshake on Sunday morning. It's more than just friendliness. It is action. Again, in the church, love is seen in patience and kindness. And we see this so clearly in the example of, of Jesus, don't we? How about this? Romans 5, 8. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He was patient with us. He gave. He benefited us. He didn't just have pity on us, but he gave to us his only son, his response. Our sins put him on the cross, and his response to that was kindness. His response was giving. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Ephesians 2.7, I love this. Paul writes that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding, speaking of God, he would show the exceeding riches of his grace. Notice this little phrase. In his kindness toward us through who? Christ Jesus. His kindness to us through the gift of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, God, they were beneficial in giving the gift of salvation to us through the person of Jesus Christ who atoned for our sin. 1 Peter 2.3 says, If so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. That's the same word for kindness. Have you tasted the graciousness of God? Have you tasted, there ought to be a loud amen right there. Have you tasted the kindness of God? Have you tasted the patience of God? He says, if you have, then be recipients of this. This is what agape love looks like. And again, he points to it, doesn't he? Ephesians 4.32. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Then he gives us the model, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven Forgiven us. Again, kindness is seen in our sacrifice for one another. Jesus told his disciples, love your enemies. And then he said this, do good to them. Do good to them. Don't just put up with them. Sometimes we think we're really going the extra mile just for putting up with people, don't we? He says, go a mile further than just putting up with them. Do good to them. 
I don't know if you've ever read the biography of Abraham Lincoln. If you have, you've come across the bitter resentment shown toward him by a man named Edwin Stanton. He was a a political rival of Lincoln. In fact, Stanton called Lincoln a clown and nicknamed, nicknamed him the original gorilla. He was quoted one time saying that one particular explorer was a fool to wander in the wild trying to capture a wild gorilla when he could have found one so easily at Springfield, Illinois, where Abraham Lincoln lived. Say, what did Lincoln say when he became the president and the other guy didn't? He said nothing. Patience, but it didn't stop there. In fact, after Abraham Lincoln became president of the United States, he eventually chose Edwin Stanton to be his secretary of war. Boy, this had Lincoln's colleagues and friends up in arms. What in the world are you doing Why have you done this? To which Lincoln replied, because he is the best man for the job. The years wore on, and it says the night came when the assassin's bullet murdered Lincoln in that theater, and it wasn't long before Edwin Stanton stood looking down on Lincoln's silent face, and he said through his tears, there lies the greatest ruler of men the world has ever seen. Now, whether that's true or not, but in the eyes of that man, it was true. A man who had not just been patient with him, but he had been kind to him. He had showed him good when he was given evil, and it captured his heart. I love what MacArthur says, love is willingness to be walked on if it serves someone else. Man, they're not going to walk all over me. How many times have we said that? Maybe we haven't said it. How many times have we thought that? Guilty. Let me remind us this evening, patience and kindness, they come from this agape love, this God-given love. They cannot come apart from God. They cannot come, listen, apart from you and I dying to ourself and being filled with the Spirit of God. Full of him. Not acting out of human love. Not acting out of human ways whatsoever. Completely controlled and filled with the spirit of God that is patient with people and kind with people. Love is patient. Love is kind. I love what Linsky wrote. These two actions, patience and kindness, they're not revealed in surroundings of friendship and affection where each individual embraces and kisses the other. This is action in a bad, self-centered world. It's not to those who do good to us. It is tested, right? It is tested when people do us wrong. Love is patient. Love is kind within the context of specifically here, the church. Love is not jealous. Number three, charity envies not. This is the first of eight things that Paul's going to talk about that love is not. First of all, he says love is. It's patient. It's kind. Now he's going to talk about what it's not. And he says it's not jealous. Remember what he just came out of in verse 12? Jealousy, right? Over all the spiritual gifts. 
This is, in fact, the same Greek word that is used in verse 31 of chapter 12 when Paul is describing their jealousy over each other and the showy gifts. And this jealousy is, is describing a desire for something that someone else has that we don't have. Jealousy over something that someone else has that we don't have. And again, I want to point you back to chapter 12 because this point is what he was speaking to in chapter 12. Look at verse 15. If the foot shall say, because I'm not the hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? Look at verse 21. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 25, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. Verse 31, he's saying, but you covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet I show unto you. Don't miss this phrase. We talked about this when we were there. Yet I show unto you a more excellent way. What is that more excellent way? Chapter 13, love. Love is a more excellent way than you being jealous over someone else's gift. Love is not jealous. Love looks at people's gifts completely different. When when love sees someone who is effective, when love sees someone who is fruitful, when love sees someone who is gifted and prosperous and loved and appreciated, love is not resentful towards that person. Love is glad. God is using them to impact people. Praise the Lord. Jealousy burns in the heart and it leads to self-advancing criticism. It hates the fact that the person is gifted and well-received. Jealousy is a a root of bitterness that is destructive, and we see that all throughout the Bible, don't we? Out of jealousy, Eve ate the fruit. It was out of jealousy. You know why? Because she wanted to be like God. She wanted what someone else had that she didn't have. She wanted a different position. Out of jealousy, it was Cain that killed Abel. Out of jealousy, it was Joseph's brothers who sold him into slavery. Out of jealousy, it was the older brother uh, who, when the younger brother, who was a prodigal, came home and his father was excited that his, his son, his wayward son, had come home. Let's celebrate. Let's have a party. It was out of jealousy that that older brother said, no way. Jealousy makes us do crazy things, doesn't it? Things that we should be rejoicing over, we can no longer rejoice over. It's a horrible thing. It eats away at the soul. It destroys relationships. It destroys effectiveness in the body of Christ. And listen, it does the same thing within families. James 3.14, But if you have bitter envy and strife in your hearts... Glory not and lie not against the truth. We see this so often that jealousy leads us to lying about people. To make them look bad and to look, make us look better. Be careful of people who are speaking ill of other people to you. Because it won't be long because before they are speaking 
ill of you to other people. Be cautious of it. And most of the time when jealousy rises up in a heart, what comes from that, because it is fleshly, because we're acting out of our human flesh and not out of the Spirit of God, usually what comes after that is lying. That's what James is talking about in verse number 14 of chapter 3. But a loving person, on the other hand, rejoices in everyone else's successes. Rejoices in the gifts that God has given other people. Rejoices, celebrates when other people do a great job at something and people are helped, people are changed. Love is not jealous. May, may we get rid of this, this heart attitude that is competitive at nature. Love is patient, love is kind, love is not jealous. And then lastly, love does not boast and is not proud. He says, charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. This is is when the arrogant attitude comes out and becomes an arrogant action. Have you ever heard self-praise slip out of someone's mouth? And you thought, ooh, wasn't expecting that. It eventually comes out because the Bible says out of the abundance of the heart, what? The mouth speaks. This is the person who always calculates everything to make himself look good and others look bad. Proverbs 27 verse 2 says this, Let another man praise thee and not thine own mouth, a stranger and not thine own lips. Only love can save us from flaunting ourselves, from flaunting our knowledge, from flaunting our accomplishments, our abilities, our gifts. And of course, it stems from a heart of, of pride. And let me, let me warn you, this, this leads to great isolation. It leads to great loneliness. If, if you want to find yourself alone, just convince yourself that you're better than everybody else. That you're more important than everybody else. You'll look up one day and you'll be the only one around. William Carey, incredible missionary. During his life, I'm not sure that people understood the incredible impact that he had. He was a missionary to India. He translated the Bible to 34 languages. Absolutely amazing. He committed his life to that. But he began his life as as a cobbler. Not the one you eat. All right. Cobbler, one who repairs shoes. Later in life, he was invited to some kind of prestigious dinner party, and somebody there who was jealous and arrogant decided that he was going to make a spectacle of Mr. Carey. And he said jokingly, Mr. Carey, I hear that you worked as a shoemaker. To which Carey replied, oh no, sir, I was never a shoe maker, I was only a cobbler. I didn't make them, sir, I just repaired them. (laughs) That would be good if we saw ourselves in that light, wouldn't it? Or like John said, he must increase, but I must what? 
decrease. Look, love is the only... (laughs) Paul's writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit because love is the only hope for this church who is so divided with conflict. And he says to all of us, listen, love is the only hope for the Corinthians. It is, it is the only thing that is going to transform that church from where they are. It is love that is going to transform them. And it is the only hope of any church. It's the only hope of our church. Love must be the center of it. Recently, I received a, a piece of mail. And when I opened it, uh, I noticed that it was from a city that I had recently visited. And when I opened it, I'd never seen this before, but there was a picture of my vehicle. And at first I thought, this, this is to the wrong person. And then as I looked closely, it had my license plate zoomed in on my license plate. Sure enough, it was, it was a picture of my vehicle. It had captured, unbeknownst to me, me breaking the law. Specifically, I guess, not making the yellow light fast enough. (laughs) Exactly, the light was pink. I I laid this piece of open mail down on the the table, and it soon that evening became um, the laughing... The point of humor in our home, the kids were laughing about it. But as I was studying this, you know, I I thought about that. I I thought about that hidden camera that I never saw. And it made me think, I wonder if there was a hidden camera in our homes, in our churches, or, or maybe in our hearts. What would it capture? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. Love is not proud, nor does it boast about itself. What what would that camera capture? Not out here, where everybody is, but, but maybe in one of the rooms where you think no one else is hearing. Maybe in our hearts where only God sees it. But it's just a root that is getting ready to come out in a life. Church, again, I remind us, as I do often, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if you have love one for another. What's that mean if they see our patience with one another? If they see our benevolent acts of kindness to one another, if they see our celebration over another's gifts and usefulness, if they see our humility and our deflection of personal praise, maybe, just maybe, they will be attracted to our Jesus where they will experience true love like they've never experienced it before because he is love. He is love. And he calls us, isn't it humbling? He calls us to be the human illustrations of what he is. He calls us to love to attract people to him 
into the gospel where they can experience eternal salvation and experience a love like we could never give them. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for the time together in the middle of the week. And Lord, just be encouraged and challenged from your word. And Lord, our encouragement tonight is that you are, you are love. You are so patient. You are so kind with us. And we are recipients of your, your loving kindness. We are recipients of your patience. Thank you, Lord, for being patient with us. Thank you for the gifts that you give us in your kindness, even though we don't deserve them. Most importantly, we thank you for the gift of salvation that we have through Jesus Christ. And God, I pray that in our homes and in our lives within the church, that that we would demonstrate your love, filled with the Spirit of God, emptied of ourselves. Lord, I pray that we would be people who are patient with one another, patient with those who are struggling with addictions, with strongholds, with weights, whatever level, patient with those who are still growing in their faith and perhaps doing things that they shouldn't be doing, patient with those that may be causing conflict within the church, Help us to lovingly address those issues, but to be patient. And help us to be kind. And Lord, I pray that we would be a people who are not jealous towards one another, towards the gifts of one another, that we celebrate your work in and through your people. And Lord, that we would be a people who are humble and who do not promote ourselves. This is our prayer tonight. Change us, make us more like you. In Christ's name we pray. And if that's your prayer, say amen. Amen. Amen.